0: Hey, welcome back to Twibley, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he is serious, but don't call him Shirley, oh. Mr. Jeff
1: McLarjuge. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, I'm fine. How All you doing? Right. Hey, good. All right. Bill, I, have a- I want to talk to you about today, about cassette tapes. You remember cassette tapes? Absolutely.
0: Uh, you know, we're from the generation of you know making mixtapes for girls that was yep. it was an art form. I actually put out uh, a Facebook post, I don't know, maybe about two years ago, three years ago, and I was asking, Do any girls still have the mixtapes that boys had made for them? Two girls that I had made mixtapes for said, Yes, I actually still have the ones you made me. Wow. Yeah, because they were actually
1: really cool and good and good. See that's a testament to the to that ability to sort of customize the format. I know, I don't know, about a year ago you you came to me and said, hey, I found one of the old radio shows from WKKL yes. where where I was on as a guest. And I was like, no, stuh And sent that, you digitized it and sent it to me. Yep. And I used to record every single program that I did there on you know 220-minute tapes. You don't still have all those, do you? Funny you should mention that. Oh, no. I want to say like about three years ago, I cleaned my basement and I deep-sixed a crate full of cassette tapes. I have... Just about everything that was there in MP3 format, but there were some blanks from the radio station that I still had that I that went with all the other cassettes into the skip, uh, unfortunately. And I sort of bring it up for this, sort of the same reason that you pulled out anybody who might have received a, a mixtape. Uh-huh. Talking with my kids who've become sort of addicted to vinyl records. One of the vinyl records I have is Revolver, it's my favorite Beatles record, and right. I bought a new copy. I listened to it one time. I put it back in the sleeve. The next time I went to listen to it, I think my kids used it as a hockey puck. Oh, no. Because it was like... And I was like, wow... If only there was some format where all that hissing could be, you know, that crackling could be removed and, and they looked at me funny and I was like, yeah, I used to have this on tape. That led to a big conversation about old media styles and and the devices that played them and Walkman and what carrying around portable music sort of meant to people when, when you and I were coming up as teenagers and how that sort of l- led the way for things like the iPod and ultimately then music on your phone and whatever. And I scoured my house and I could not find a cassette tape to show them. I had to go find an image on on YouTube and be like, that's what a cassette tape looks like.
0: Oh, really? uh,
1: Because I didn't have one, yeah.
0: Oh, wow. I have a box like right here at my feet of a bunch of cassette tapes that are just like threatening for me to digitize. And I do have a cassette thing that can Mm -hmm. digitize them. It doesn't work great. You thought cassette sounded bad before? Wait till you hear them now.
1: Um, <laughs> yes, the the audio equivalent of looking at something on like a Game Boy Advance. Right. Or to, to scale down from that high definition. Mm-hmm.
0: Like I mean I I will get into an argument with anyone that wants to say that records vinyl sound better than CDs. Uh, I have a hard time believing that unless it's like under absolutely perfect circumstances. But I've never heard a perfect record in my life.
1: No, I haven't either. And I think it's more that it's a it's practice of listening that makes the experience. At least with vinyl records different. Mm -hmm. This I learned, again, as I introduced my kids to it. When I first did, I had set up the stereo and put one on and it was, you know... And then right. the music started and, and they looked at me and, and I'm sitting on the floor with a, you know, the record jacket kind of open and they're like, all right, now what do you do? Like, you don't understand. You're in it. This is it. You're listening to records now. <laughs> this is what we do for 22 minutes. And then the record ends and I flip it over and listen to the other side. That's what listening to records kind of is. And then you can kind of do stuff like you have to be cognizant of where the needle is so that you can flip the record over. And not hurt the needle that aspect of it that sort of having to be in the same place as the music in this stationary area listening to it in an ambient fashion without being able to customize it has this really weird sort of soothing effect on how my kids listen to records it's the time that they sit down and just stare at nothing or read a book type a story or something because they're in that one space they have that 22 or 25 minutes of side time, that they, c- they can't do anything else except listen and maybe do something with their fingers. It's really, really neat. And while the f- I don't notice the difference in fidelity, other than I like it better when my music doesn't sound like it's on a record, <laughs> scratchy records suck. I like MP3s because there's no scratches, but it forces them to slow down and take in the experience. It's really, really interesting.
0: I, I hadn't had a record player in my house for a long time. You know, during the, uh, the big lockdowns uh, in the spring and the summer, I, like a bunch of other people did a lot of crazy impulse buying and I bought a record player. First record I put on there was Marillion's Misplaced Childhood, which I have like two right. copies on vinyl, even though I haven't had a record player in probably twenty years or more. Right. Oh my God, did it sound assy.
1: <laughs> it depends on the needle, the speakers, the amplification. There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into it, which is yeah. why, you know, listening to records is 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 a hobby. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, I almost never go anywhere without a Bluetooth speaker now, so I can just throw whatever I'm listening to on and I don't think about it.
0: All right. Uh, We're going to let you start this week. This is the week beginning August the 24th. What do you... August
1: 24th. What do you have? 1869. Cornelius Swarthout patents the stovetop waffle iron.
0: You know, nobody names their kids Cornelius anymore, and it's a shame. It's
1: it's, it's true. Cornelius is a name that is, is so old. I can almost picture like this person has a handlebar mustache yeah, and a top hat as he's holding out a waffle iron, and he's trying to explain to someone like, look. He's explaining to his wife, Blanche. <laughs> you just close the top after you put the pancake batter in, and it makes square. Let me show you. This is gonna revolutionize breakfasts the world over. And his poor wife just wants to make pancakes and, and get on with raising kids or whatever. And I want to back but, this up
0: a second here. Alright, sure. so Cornelius Swarthout worth <laughs> patents the stovetop waffle iron. What would they how were they doing it before?
1: I, yeah, it's a good question. I I don't I do it's not like know. This the, the under stove you know, waffle these iron. These
0: pancakes would be great if they just had little Pockets that would that would hold the syrup and the butter, and then Cornelius is like,
1: "I'm on it!" Right?
0: <laughs>
1: of course, that's
0: that's it. Here's eureka yeah. moment. Now
1: wait, now wait. <laughs> I call it the
0: waffle. Now, Cornelius was the name of the explorer in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, wasn't it? Uh yes. And he would constantly shout "Eureka!"
1: Right? He he. Yeah. Yes. Silver
0: and gold, my chapped balls. Okay, because I, this Cornelius has got waffles. All right. Waffles. And I take, waffles on the yeah, brain. I will take waffles over silver and gold any day.
1: My kids bought me a waffle iron uh, three years ago for Father's Day, which I used Father's Day morning to make waffles for them.
0: It's like buying your wife a vacuum cleaner for her birthday. That's exactly what it's like.
1: You know what it'd be great like now, Dad? Waffles. Here's a waffle iron. Hook, hook us up. Um, This year, daughter made breakfast for me for the very first time. She made me a, a waffle in the waffle iron, and she, she sweated so hard over making them right. She put it in front of me. She's like, yeah, they're not the right shape. It's okay. What do you
0: mean they're not the right shape? They're not square.
1: <laughs> yeah, they went round because she didn't put enough waffle batter into oh, the waffle oh, iron. Oh,
0: sorry, Dada, I made a parallelogram by accident.
1: <laughs> it's a dodecahedron. <laughs> um, and she and she's like, you know, they're not really the right shape and they're not really the right size, but I hope they kind of taste good. And she's and she's really really worried. <laughs> so they, I mean, they're waffles. They taste like waffles, right? And they taste good. And put enough serum on them, everything tastes wonderful. You know, she pretty much used every pan in my whole house. To, to make waffle batter. She said to me, she said, "This I stress this more than anything I've stressed in the last year.
0: Well, you must have a charmed life there, Meg.
1: <laughs> I wrote papers for school with no prep in one night, overnight, from, you know, after dinner to morning when I went to virtual class and turned it in. And I didn't sweat it anywhere near like I sweated making waffles for you for Father's Day. Like, you could have just asked me to make them, you know, <laughs> just like you did when you gave me the waffle iron. Yeah, it's funny stuff.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh.
1: All right, uh, August twenty fifth. All Bill. right,
0: so August twenty fifth, another another food invention. And this right. is this is fun to say. August twenty fifth, nineteen fifty eight, Momofuku Ando, and that's his name. You know, nobody names the kids Momofuku anymore.
1: <laughs> Momofuku Ando invents the instant noodles, as we know them, ramen noodles, right. as my mother calls them. Roman noodles. Ah. So she doesn't get the Japanese connection to ramen noodles. She thinks they're spaghetti. You know, that's my mom. The first one were called chicken ramen. So you can still buy pretty much the exact same product today yep. uh, in every single supermarket, convenience store, and, and everything in between those two things. Yeah,
0: the top ramen, right, yeah. Uh,
1: top ramen or marushan or whatever. They are sold all over all over the world. Amazingly interesting food.
0: My, uh, my friend Ashley... We were working at a haunted house together, and I went to go pick her up. She was living at the dorms at the college at the time. And she gets into my car, and she's got a package of ramen noodles with her. And she opens it up with this this brick, you know? Yep. And just starts eating it like it was Rice Krispie treats. And I'm like, what on God's green earth are you doing? She's like, I'm a college student. This is how we eat.
1: (laughs) She's a crazy momofuku, that one. (laughs) (laughs)
0: A couple of years ago, it seemed like overnight, like all at once, people were uh, like posting on Facebook that they were like super excited because they were going out for ramen. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. hold on a second. Are you ramen? And they were like, yeah. Like they were all excited. Like it was some sort of delicacy. I'm like. Yeah, you can buy it for like sixty cents. <laughs>
1: yes, it's different. There's a, there are a couple of places up here in in my neck of the woods that have opened very recently that are that are fantastic noodle houses, uh-huh. uh, and that's like this. It seems to be a up and up until recently when you know restaurants became sort of a weird place to kind of go there was this big explosion of of them and i i don't know why but they're super popular and the food in them is almost always super duper good it's it's like my kids first uh restaurant of choice if we're going to go out to eat it's it always is at the top of my list too because it's super hearty and tastes really good and when you make like ramen at home using mr Momofuku ando's ramen style you put in like the you know the chicken bouillon and maybe some scallions or something but you get you can get ramen with like pork and beef and all kinds of vegetables and a fried egg and all this other stuff. And it's really, really good.
0: I don't know. I think just... People are getting a little too excited for chicken noodle soup.
1: <laughs> that ultimately, what it comes down to is it's chicken. Yeah
0: yeah you, yeah, yeah. you just calm down, okay? There's no need. There's no need to Facebook post about it. All right, what do you got for the 26th? Uh nineteen
1: forty-seven. The first black baseball pitcher, a guy named uh, Dan Bankhead, uh, hits a home run on his first at bat. Nice. Dan Bankhead's an interesting guy. He wasn't the first um, African American to play Major League Baseball. That was Jackie Robinson. But this guy was the first black pitcher. Okay. And came from Alabama, played in the Negro Leagues with his, his four brothers, and ended up on the same team as Jackie Robinson. He was Jackie Robinson's roommate. Oh, no kidding. He always got tagged in the press as somebody who cracked under pressure when he was pitching to white players. Like, he didn't have control or he he wasn't able to pitch to white players in a way that was convincing. And there's this really great quote from a guy named Buck O'Neill who was a, a star in the Negro Leagues with him.
0: Oh, and it he sounds said, like he's a the country of Western singer.
1: Right? This is This is the quote he says. See, here's what I always heard. Dan was scared to death that he was going to hit a white boy with a pitch. He thought there might be some sort of riot if he did. Dan was from Alabama, just like your father, but Satchel became a man of the world. Dan was always from Alabama, you know what I mean? You heard all those people calling him names, making those threats, and he was scared. He'd seen black men get lynched. So can you imagine the pressure going up to pitch? Oh, no kidding. And thinking like, oh my God, if I beanball this guy, even by mistake, they're probably going to kill me. You know, in front of... Forty thousand people or twenty five thousand people. Oh, for sure, it must have been nerve wracking to the to the max. So interesting, interesting little bit about Dan Bankhead there.
0: Yeah, well, I, you know we're really, really spoiled in the in the time that we live in, and as crazy as things can be, they are way 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 different than they were then that's that's insanity right there all right but crazy, crazy. yeah moving on to the 27th uh another milestone in a, in a similar fashion august 27th 2008 barack obama becomes the first black politician to be nominated to the president of the united states of america by a major party now, Frederick Douglass was the first black American to run for president, but Barack Obama was the first to be nominated by a major party. Yep. So, the, yeah, the Democratic uh, Party uh, nominated Barack Obama August 27th, 2008.
1: And I remember exactly what I was doing when that happened. Oh, wow. Really? So so, he, yeah, yeah. Where were you? I was in a hospital room and I was laying in a bed. I had just had open heart surgery that morning. And I was looking up at the TV, waiting for President Obama, at the time, was Senator Obama, to come out and give the keynote speech at the Democratic convention right. as he had been nominated already mm-hmm. that day my chest cavity started to fill up with fluid. So the pumps that they use to pump the fluid out of your chest had started to fail. So as I was laying there waiting for him to start speaking, I had less and less breath. So I, I had to, was hitting the button. I'm making this motion with my finger as if you can see me, but I was hitting a button to call a nurse and was trying desperately to like stay alive long enough to see him give his keynote speech and I didn't do it. I wasn't able to do it. They ended up whisking me out of the room and taking me to this other place where they put me on a bed that like tilted my head towards the floor and my feet towards the ceiling. But when I sort of made it to the next morning, I got to see a rerun of the speech and the, the, the nurses had saved my life that night. Oh, wow. And the next morning they announced that Sarah Palin was going to be, <laughs> what's his face is running we mate. Changed. And yeah, McKay's running away, and I was like, I, maybe I did die, you know, was the thought. Like, maybe this I must be in hell now, uh, or something. I remember being so excited to see his speech because he's such an eloquent speaker, and then missing it because I, I couldn't draw a breath. Did you get to uh, see Sarah Palin's speech at least? Uh, no, fortunately <laughs> not.
0: Yeah. So, I, I told this story recently on, on Facebook. My next door neighbor uh, growing up, Cape Verdean family. For those of you not in this area, Cape Verde is a Portuguese island that was for... It was along the route of the slave trading. So Cape Verde is is a it's it's kind of like a creole. It's kind of like a mix between Portuguese and Africans. We had the you know grew up next to this black slash Cape Verdean family. They had moved here from another part of the city during what was known as the Kempton Street riots, horrific race riots in another part of the city. Now, yep. before they get a chance to move in, the other neighbor on the other side had gone around the neighborhood with petitions trying to block the sale of the house because he didn't want black next door neighbors. This is in the 60s now, 60s or early 70s. Right. Uh, like I said on the last segment, you know, th- things can get weird now, but wow, are they different. You know, thankfully, most of the neighbors told that guy with the petition to shove it up his ass and the Gomes family moved in. Now, Mr. Gomes right. was a fireman. Sometime later, I don't know if it was months or years later, the other neighbor, the wife came running out of the house, crying and screaming. He's choking. He's dying. He's choking. That neighbor had, was true to steak wrong or something and was-
1: This was the, the neighbor that petitions. C- circulated yes. the petition, yeah. Okay. So
0: Mr. Gomes, being a fireman, ran next door, saved his adversary's life. Right to his credit, bad neighbor had a change of heart. How much of a change of heart I don't know, but to his credit, he apologized, thanked the Mister Gomes, and they were friendly neighbors from that point forward. But that was a very, very, very powerful story for me growing yeah. up. I always, my parents always told me that story. I was really happy for Mister Gomes because you know I ended up moving back into this house, um, you know, some years later. And I was really happy for Mr. Gomes that he lived long enough to see Barack Obama become president. He had a, he had a, he had a picture of him framed in his house. It's like, you know, you know, here's a guy that, you know really lived through the worst this country has seen not well not the worst obviously the worst would be in the first couple of hundred years but you know lived through some really really dark times and actually moved because of it then they get to see at least mr gones left this planet you know knowing that it could happen black man could become the president of the united states you yeah. know moving on to the 28th august 28th
1: 1973 bobby boris pickett song the Monster Mash goes gold.
0: So wait, wait, 1973, right. it goes gold? Nin-
1: 1973, That's a, That song yeah. came out in like the 50s, didn't it? It, it came out in 1962. 62, all right. Uh, yep, it was re-released in the UK in 73, and it peaked at number three. I was about to say, it sounds like a pretty
0: slow climb up the charts.
1: Yep, <laughs> it re-entered the Hot 100 on May 5th, 73 at number 10. Wow. And on August 11th. With a bullet. So, 73, it went gold again. And he, from, as I understand the story, Bobby Boris Pickett was driving a taxi cab. He'd been out of the music business for some years now. And uh, although that song had come around on a couple of different, like, novelty collections, and it, every Halloween there would be, like, a bump in sales of the 45 and stuff. Yeah. But he was driving around in, uh, in, I think it was New York City, and the song came up on the radio. He heard it on the radio, and the DJ had mentioned that, hey, this, this record's gone gold now. It's like it's sold over 100,000 copies or a million copies, whatever it is. That Makes a gold record. He had no idea that he even charted it again. It's five
0: hundred thousand.
1: Five hundred thousand. Really, really amazing thing to find later. And and he pulled back a band together and started touring on that. Sam, that song, like right after that. I'm guessing he hung up his taxi cab license and uh, and went out and and did the mash. He, yep. He did the monster mash. He
0: used to perform at Spooky World, where I worked in Foxborough, and before that in Berlin, Massachusetts. Not Berlin, Germany, but he would perform at the at Spooky World, America's horror theme park, uh, every year. The guy that owned the place, Dave Bertolino, would uh, bring him in. I don't really remember too much about Mister Bertolino. I've heard a lot of stories from a lot of people. I heard he's sick now. Hope he does well. That's that's all I can say about him.
1: All all I can think of is how Bobby Pickett seems like the most 1962 name (laughs) I can imagine. It sounds like it was it just built in 1962, even though that he wasn't born then. But when I think Bobby Pickett, that's like that weird sort of seafoam green color and flat, very flat cars and...
0: And malted milkshakes. Malted milkshakes. Uh, This should come as no surprise. And going back to our original segment, the very first record I ever owned was the Monster Mash.
1: Was it really? It was.
0: Uh, I mean, it wasn't nice. the Bobby Pickett version. It was like I don't know. It was like a kids' record with a bunch of novelty songs on it.
1: Mm-hmm. And I know that there were dozens upon dozens of those things that came out when we uh, were
0: when we were kids oh, too. Yeah. Uh,
1: so, speaking of inventions, another great.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you see this one coming, don't you? Uh, uh, do. A great invention in, in our lifetime too. August 29th, two thousand and twelve.
1: <laughs> All right, ladies, hang on your hats. Ladies.
0: Researchers researchers reported news in the in Chicago at the American Heart Association's 63rd High Blood Pressure Research Conference that Mm. banana Banana. This is my New England accent. banana, Banana Banana spider venom was good for reversing I can't even say this. Good for reversing the effects of erectile dysfunction.
1: And the beautiful part is it comes in its own applicator. As long as you can get the spider down your pants. <laughs> so, again, the question of, like, what is the necessity that that breeds the mother of this invention? Yeah, what I'm and thinking
0: is this, this guy got bit <laughs> by a mutant banana spider. He's like,
1: Ow! Hey, he looking good. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, so Sp- Spider-Man, right? So he's, well, he goes to see Spider-Man in the cinema, like Spider-Man. Which of the Spider-Man movies was out around 20, 2012, you know? Uh, yeah,
0: that's it was pro- yeah, probably yeah. one of the Garfield ones, right?
1: Right. I don't know if I'm going to become a spider. Or a porn Or star. I'm going to become a banana. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to become a spider or a banana. Why not both? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, sp- this is this is such a funny one only in that if you can imagine like there must be some point of desperation where this poor scientist, I can just imagine him sitting there in his lab coat and his glasses and he's got a computer next to him and he's got samples and Petri dishes and that little Van de Graaff generator and a Jacob's Ladder. In one Petri dish he's got Viagra pills and another Petri dish he's got a banana spider and he's looking at the Petri dish full of Viagra pills and he's like, Ugh. And he looks at the spider and he's like, hmm. Looks at the pills again he goes, hmm. looks at the spider and he goes,
0: hmm.
1: I think I'll go with the spider.
0: Yeah, i got a good and- question to ask ask here. This banana spider venom that's good for uh, erectile defu- dysfunction, it, is it injection?
1: Is it a pill form? Or is it a topical ointment? Do you have to like make friends with the spider first <laughs> to get it? Or- <laughs> Hello, you've got lovely legs. Just combing your finger over its hairy body. and you got to sing to it. Hide the deadly black tarantula. you got to start singing sweet nothings in it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if you eat bananas or flies. What would you like? Uh, Where would you like to go? It's going to determine how we go out to eat. <laughs> There's a lot going on here. You want to make sure you get that process done before you go with your spouse or significant other.
0: So what's that, what happened on August thirtieth, Bill? Yeah, I was about to say, uh, we we've, <laughs> we've hit a we've hit a low.
1: We've hit a low. we hit a low, but the, uh,
0: the 30th is not my day. Omnescent
1: low, as it were. The 30th is not uh, my day. I. The 30th is my day, right? Plausibly less painful than relieving erectile dysfunction with a banana spider. The first boxing match with gloves on the contestants takes place. What
0: was this? You know, August 30th, 1884? August,
1: August 30th, 1884, the first boxing match with gloves. Gloves had been invented and used since the late 1700s, but they were always used just for training, punching. I guess they still punch big, ha- heavy bags full of sand and sawdust and stuff, Mm -hmm. but they didn't use them to punch other people. Up to then, boxing had always been sort of bare knuckles. So if you watch, or if you go back and you look at the, I hate the phrase old timey, but I'm going to use it. Mm -hmm. If you go back and look at the old timey pictures of boxers with their weird palms up stance, they're bare knuckle fighters from the 1800s. I think that gloves were reluctantly taken on because the belief was that if you had gloves on, you'd punch even harder. And you had the potential to kill the person that you were boxing with. Whereas if you had just your hands, you'd, you'd have to be careful because you'd hurt your hands if you punch someone in the side of the head or if you punch someone directly into the front of the jaw, right? right? So there's a potential that you could hurt your hands and that keeps you from, I guess, going house on your opponent. And putting gloves on to protect your hands from whacking somebody super hard in the side of the head makes it more likely that you're going to whack somebody super hard in the side of the head.
0: You know, this is the first time I've ever thought about it that way, that wearing boxing gloves were more to protect your hands than protect your face.
1: Yeah, and that's what it was for, to protect Protect your hands, and, and in doing so, it made it much more dangerous to be a face. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not a, not a good
0: time to be a face.
1: <laughs> face is in trouble now because you're never gonna, you're not gonna hurt your hands as much by punching somebody directly in the face. So right. it's much harder to break your hand and, and have to drop out of the fight. I mean, I've, I've been a long time boxing fan, yeah. not not so long that I remember the bare knuckles boxing with the old timey guys, but but long enough to, to have seen people like get their jaws like broken in two places and get get hit so hard that they don't get back up again ever. Like I don't know if you remember Duck Ku Kim was a I think he was a middleweight fighter and he got he got knocked out and killed in the ring and that happened a that happened a bunch of times in like the sixties and seventies and stuff and
0: Do you remember we went to high school with him? Do you remember a guy named Scott Pemberton? Yeah, yeah. I saw his first professional boxing fight and he won by TKO. Yeah. And that guy hit so hard that the he he didn't you know hit him so hard that the guy spun and and you know had to get a standing eight count. He hit the guy so hard he knocked him over. So when he went down on the third time, you know, he popped right back up on the one count, and he says to the referee, he's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And the referee was like, you're down three times, (laughs) dude. The match is over. He's like, but I didn't get knocked out. I just fell it's like it doesn't matter dude that's how hard Scott yeah. hit
1: yeah yeah and you know if you if you watch the sweet science long enough you see that stuff happen surprisingly mm-hmm. often gloves cause other problems too it was a documentary I wish I could remember the name of it on HBO a few years back and it was a fight where the manager had pulled the stuffing out of the sixteen ounce gloves of that one guy was wearing, and all through the fight, the other guy saying like, "This guy's hitting me super hard. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand what it right. is. Like, I don't understand why it's so much worse." That that he ended up getting brain damage and and becoming depressed and 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 ultimately went off and took his own life, and and Jeez. it was it was brought on by this fantastic beating he took from a guy with gloves with lesser weight in them. And it's the same argument that you you start to sometimes see be made about professional football or specifically high school football is that. In covering these these kids up with armor and thicker, bigger helmets, they tend to smash into each other harder and harder and harder. And that's what causes that uptick in the serious concussion brain damage that they tend to get. And while ultimately it looks like this stuff protects you from immediate injury, what it does is it causes long-term deep in body injuries that sometimes never heal. Oh, wow. So anyway, uh, not to bring us down, but 1884, first Botching Mac with Gloves. Thanks a yeah. lot, guys. Should have kept them yeah. off.
0: Be a lot more blood. That's for sure. That's the first time I even thought about that. That the gloves were for the hands and to protect the hands and not the other person's face.
1: And ultimately, in protecting the hands, you're protecting the other person's face too, because you can only punch if your hands aren't broken, and it, you want to be careful where you target and where you hit, because you don't want to punch somebody right in the forehead. You'll break your you'll break your hand long before you break somebody's forehead. Right. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, for sure.
0: All right, let's uh, let's get into these uh, these celebrity birthdays. All right, all right. So uh, you want to start, or I'll start. You start.
1: All right, August twenty fourth, nineteen seventy three. Uh, American actor and comedian Dave Chappelle is born in Washington D.C. Star of the
0: Dave Chappelle Show.
1: Star of the Dave Chappelle Show, and still uh, an icon of comedy. Certainly one of the more influential comedians uh, practicing the art today. Mm. Fantastic, fantastic guy.
0: Yeah, he disappeared for a little while. He uh, he had some issues or something, right?
1: Well, yeah, he was offered $50 million for another season of Chappelle's show. Like, the way that he tells the story is he thought maybe the message that he was trying to get out in his show wasn't getting out the way that he thought it was. Mm-hmm. Decided to walk away. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, he talks about it in one of his specials that's on Netflix. You should totally watch it. Oh. It's fantastic. It's a fantastic story. I couldn't do it justice, so I'm not going to try to. Okay.
0: Uh, moving on to the twenty fifth, nineteen forty nine, a man that would certainly never turn down fifty million dollars under any circumstances, <laughs> Gene Simmons from the rock band
1: Kiss. We can buy that on Kiss.com.
0: <laughs> I never got to meet any of the guys from Kiss. I know a lot of people, uh, you know, frown upon Gene Simmons and his uh, and his
1: money making ways. But guy's got a guy. If the dude's a businessman, yep. he's no dummy. He said it very
0: well. I'm I'm paraphrasing it best, but he said it very well. He goes, "When you go to work." You go to work to make money.
1: All right.
0: My job makes money,
1: and that's yep. that's that. <laughs> yep. I, I remember uh, it, it's totally worth going out on the internet to find. But he does an interview on a, an NPR show some years back. Go, <laughs> go hunt for Gene Simmons on NPR interview. It is. Absolutely hysterical, and he didn't give permission for them to reuse it, so it's just out there. And he gets into this big long argument with the host about stuff. It was it's wicked wicked funny, and you can you can see that he just doesn't have time for like not for profit radio. <laughs> and they want to talk about his book. He I think it was his biography
0: uh kiss and tell
1: there's a fact in there that he had polaroid pictures of all the women he'd ever slept with yeah. and that's all the host wanted to talk about and he was like he wasn't having it <laughs> it was so it's so funny too all right uh moving on to actors uh what do you got august 26th 1980 the world remembers him as kevin but his name is macaulay culkin he was in home alone and my girl and richie rich and uncle buck and some other stuff the good son and then he sort of grew he grew up Right. And vanished for a while. And there's all this weird spec. He was in Party Monster. And that was like the last sort of big movie that he made where he played the club kid killer, Michael Alec. And that's the thing, like,
0: too, like whenever he, he came because he was gone for a while. and He came back and he did Party Monster mm-hmm. and he did another movie called Saved. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. You know, when people were like criticizing him because he was this child actor and now he's doing these kind of like almost controversial
1: roles. And it's like, right. yeah, because he grew up. Right. What do you you expect the kid to be doing the aftersave joke for the rest of his life? He's he done he did all kinds of stuff. There were some questions about his health and, and, he and substance good. misuse. Yeah. That was at a time that he was in this is such a funny story. He was in a band called Pizza Underground, which was some weird ass something that did shows playing velvet underground songs but they changed all of the lyrics to include pizza
0: that is probably my favorite thing this
1: week you can find videos of them doing like take a walk on the pizza side on youtube and they are hysterical the whole band is like one guy tapping a pizza box and it's three or four people singing you totally should go and check oh my god no
0: link in description Oh my God, yes. Moving on to the 27th, 1952, born Paul Rubens, but better known to the world as Pee Wee Herman.
1: Nice. I always always thought he was super funny. Weird story for him, right? So he tried out for Saturday Night Live and didn't get picked. Mm -hmm. And on his way back to Los Angeles from New York, he came up with the character of Pee Wee Herman and like built the whole... World of Pee Wee Herman on that one flight back. Oh wow! Started doing, starting putting the show together, and figured if he couldn't get on Saturday Night Live, he'd make his own. He'd do it. As, he'd do it himself. Right. That became the Pee Wee Herman show that he started to tour with and do in comedy clubs and stuff. Yeah, that was on HBO in the uh, in the eighties. That's fantastic. Yep. If that's
0: available on YouTube, like people need to see that. That show was fantastic.
1: Well, he had done that as like a as like theater. In clubs and stuff around LA before that got anywhere near HBO picking it right. up, like he generated a whole bunch of buzz. It was like the equivalent of starting a band and touring a band. Yeah. Well, so he toured that weird show until it got filmed. Yeah. And
0: it's funny how many like a, the there was dance. like four people that were all like came in the business together. It was mm-hmm. Pee Wee Herman, John Paragon. I can't remember the actress's name, but she was the secretary in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, with your bad knee, Ed, you shouldn't be pulling anything. Her and. Cassandra Peterson, Elvira. Yeah, they all started together. They were all in like an improv troupe. Oh. Yeah, they were all front.
1: Well, that explains. They're all fronts. That explains why Cassandra Peterson it has that cameo in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yep.
0: Right. And uh, blink and you miss him. Pee Wee Herman's actually in the Blues Brothers movie. Is he really? Yeah. He's uh he's the waiter in the elegant restaurant.
1: Oh my god! I will have to go back and watch that yep. now.
0: All right, moving on to the twenty eighth, August
1: twenty eighth, nineteen seventeen. Jack Kirby, the American cartoonist who came up with the designs for invented the x-men spider-man hulk thor yeah basically marvel, the
0: marvel marvel Universe, comics
1: yeah. yeah he was one of the first cartoonists there and uh and was super duper influential in that the way that comics started to look in the 1960s carried on and did some work for dc with like the new gods and some other stuff in the 70s and stuff his stuff is incredibly super distinctive you can if you know comic book artists at all you can spot a jack kirby picture that right.
0: quick unfortunately uh, kirby died in 1994 which is sad because he never you know got to see his creations come to the cinematic you know fruition through, through the uh um, marvel cinematic universe he did however hey. live long enough to see the hey. original captain america movie which is uh, woo!
1: that's not even the terrible one that was made for tv in the 1980 with uh reb brown <laughs> this is the uh captain america with jd salinger's kid as Captain America but it's it's terrible in a million ways
0: the red skull was neither red nor a skull it's yeah it's tough
1: it was shot for the equivalent of like four ice cream sandwiches and uh and whatever change you could find in the backseat of your car the
0: entire budget renting the motorcycle (laughs)
1: oh it was was awful all
0: right moving on to the 29th 1958, your friend of mine, Michael Jackson. This this is a thing in pop culture that if you don't particularly like something, you hate it, especially with somebody as popular as Michael Jackson. I'm just indifferent to the guy. I've never really been a huge fan. Somebody asked me one time, they're like, what's your favorite Michael Jackson song? And I'm like, I don't have one. Right. You know, probably I Want You Back, which is a Jackson 5 song. If that counts, that's my favorite. But yeah, I don't know.
1: I think those all count now. I've I've been a a fan of of his since I was Mm -hmm. little. So this is one of the records my mom used to play for me when I was like three years old was their first record. So ABC I'll be there and I want you back. I grew up with all those songs like I've known those songs almost as long as I've known any English oh, wow. words at all. And I've I've liked I've never heard a bad record. He's never put a bad record out even his B-sides are good. He's like that weird guy that be, sort of becomes the culmination of the character that he developed to sort of be. I, I I'll, I'll maintain you know from now on from forever that that I love, like ridiculous character-driven rock and roll. I like War. I like Kiss. I like. Gigi Allen, I like DeAntford, I like all kinds of goofy Mm -hmm. stuff. He, by virtue of his life from about 1979 on, he became what the world just saw of him and I think anything else that was there just disappeared and he just became that sort of weird caricature of Michael Jackson so that when, at the time of his unfortunate death, he was this sort of weird media anomaly that no one knew what to do with and yet here he was still working every day and getting ready to go and tour. Still an enigma and a fantastic uh, recording artist all
0: right so you have the 30th
1: august 30th 1334 going all the way back to the mm. olden days a guy named peter the cruel <laughs> he was the king of castile and leon from 1350 to 1369 but he was born in 1334 he was 16 years old when he became king wow and a hell of a reputation at 16 yeah, yeah so how do you get to be cruel at 60 i well maybe he was one of the, like the mean girls types yeah. <laughs> and that's why like 16 is a tough year i have a I have a 15-year-old who's going on 37, so. <laughs> on Woden's Day, we wear pink.
0: <laughs> now, when I was doing the list, right, uh, I think it was like the 27th or the 28th, there was a birthday of another guy named Ivan the Terrible. Yeah, so we have Peter the Cruel and Ivan the Terrible. I, you know, I hope it's 700 years, of like Bill, the somewhat ambitious.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and Jeff,
0: the punctual. Jeff, yeah, Jeff, the exceptionally punctual. All right, so let's move on to... <laughs> The Worst Song Ever.
1: All right, so what do we have for The Worst Song Ever this week? 1982. I remember it like it was yesterday. I had on headphones much like I have on today, the kind that are big and cover your ears. And I listened to Abracadabra by the Steve Miller Band. Uh, It was number one. Uh, this this week in 1982 wow. Did not stay on the charts for very long The song is notable in that it's the last hit That Steve Miller had Sort of careened or, or shambled out of the 1970s arena rock scene That sort of new romantic period was And then there he was playing sort of still arena rock In 82 This song is notable for nothing <laughs> Except that it jumps all over the place In a set of headphones which, When you're 13 or whatever And you're listening in headphones And it's going like And it's like low rent pink floyd but it's way more than pink floyd because it's literally ping-ponging off of both speakers all the time it's fantastic there is something about
0: this song that i can make mention though
1: this song yep. is lyrically hysterical <laughs> i'm gonna reach out and oh, grab yeah. ya. hold on let's play a clip uh... Like when this song comes on, you know, when I used to listen to this in headphones, it was great to hear this like bleeping and blooping and all this other stuff sort of going back and forth. And now, when this song comes on in the car, I think like, oh, there's something wrong with my brakes. You know, like, did I just run over a cat? Where Where's that noise coming from? Because it's jumping all over the inside of the car. Yeah. Abracadabra.
0: Mike, I have a cousin and Steve Miller is actually one of her favorites. She's from Las Vegas, but her and her sister had come to visit uh, their grandmother over here and they spent about a month. And I remember she really, really liked that song. You know, even then I was like a critic. I was like, yeah, that song's kind of silly, but she really, really liked that song. After she had gone back home, the song actually made it to number one. And I remember either calling her or writing her a letter saying, wow, I guess she could pick them because the song did, you know, really well for itself. Steve Miller, uh, yeah, I mean the other songs is this, what "Fly Like an Eagle," which is another mm-hmm. song that's like low rent Pink Floyd with all the weird sound effects yep. and stuff like that. And uh, what's the other one he yeah, had? The Joker. Yeah, yeah I, I it's sort ooh, of you know sort of like standard
1: of seventies rock radio. And I, I heard a great interview with him where he said music yeah. is too like negative. Man, I, I wrote one negative song once and it did well, and I and I hated it, and I said I'd never write another negative song again, and I and I never have. And I thought like, huh, that's that's, that's interesting that you like. He sort of like ah, who wants to who wants to listen to music to be bummed? I'm like ah, that's, man, that's great, what a great, that's fantastic. "Ever is oh, still yeah. a terrible song, but you know, I like the fact that you came to the conclusion that it would be better <laughs> than writing a song about you know eating some Drano. That friggin' guy. Then I went off and listened to the saddest music in the world.
0: The '90s almost inclusively was yeah. like it was all depressing stuff and borderline novelty songs, but. That's
1: so, that's bigger fish to fry later
0: on in the in the uh, I'm I'm quite sure later on down the worst we'll, song we'll, ever we'll find some special uh, we tracks will be getting from the
1: 1990s into, to ruminate over.
0: But that is going to wrap up our show for this week. We'll see you guys next week. Have a great week, right. everybody. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff.
1: Bye, Bye everybody. Bye Have a great week.
0: Special thanks to James Cosa for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibley. This week was way better last year. You can follow and or message us over on Instagram or on Facebook at T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you tell your friends if you like our show. And if you don't like our show, tell your friends you did like it. It'll be a great prank you can play on them.
1: Have a good week, guys.